Welcome back to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. This week for my interview segment, I decided to dig into the archives for an interview with Canadian filmmaker Jason Eisner. The first film of his I saw was a short film called Treevenge, in which Christmas trees started to attack humans. So since I'm basking in the afterglow of Turbo Kid's celebration of 80s action films, I decided I wanted to revisit Jason Eisner's interview from 2011, where we talk about Hobo with a Shotgun, a film that also celebrates grindhouse filmmaking. Hope you enjoy the interview. First of all, can you talk a little bit about the origins of this film and, and how it kind of came up through that? And I'm not sure what the title of that festival was. Was it the Grindhouse Festival? No, it was at uh, South by Southwest so, okay. in Texas, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the roots of the film? Basically, uh, South by Southwest teamed up with Rob Rodriguez to put on a competition to go with the release of Grindhouse. And what they did is they made a, they, they created a fake trailer contest, and they asked filmmakers from all around the world to create a fake trailer for a fake movie in the style of like exploitation movies from like the 1970s and 80s. And uh, they had over like, I think like 300 submissions. They pared it down to three of the, the, the top trailers uh, and they gave those trailers to Rob Rodriguez and uh, he picked uh, his top favorite trailer. And basically when we found out about that competition, um, I remember my writer, uh, John Davies, who's also my best friend, he called me up the day they announced it, which it was announced on AinaCoolNews.com. And basically we went out and we started shooting that night that we heard about the contest. And we created that trailer for maybe like 120 bucks. And uh, we went out on the streets of Dartmouth, Nova Scotia with a real shotgun. And we shot for maybe, I don't know, five days, a couple hours here and there. And uh, we, we submitted the, the trailer and ended up winning that contest. And uh, it really, um, the, the trailer really took off online and became kind of like a viral hit. Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers. Tell all your grave robbing friends on what the matter of the city now! Oh, with a shotgun. The streets gave birth to a stray dog who is now fed up. Living on the streets is tough. And it's about to get tougher. Violence, cruelty, murder. The streets will be lonelier because this hobo's taken off. He's cashing in his nickels and dimes for a new way of life. But getting out isn't that easy. This hero is going to have to deliver justice one shell at a time. Give me the fucking money! I will slit her goddamn throat! I'm gonna sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight! Hobo with a shotgun! He's pissed! Tell me the goddamn passcodes! And he wants answers. You know what you want to do with a whore? Please don't shoot the dirty cops! We're all dirty cops! Check out Nushy, Tom Morrison, shit, Parker! Hobo with a shotgun. I want that hobo's head on my wall tonight! And whoever brings it to me gets all my friends! When violence rules the streets, there will only be one law. Here. David Brunt has 
And people were demanding that we make a feature film. And our Canadian distributor, Alliance, they phoned us up and they told us that they wanted to put our trailer on the Canadian release of Grindhouse. So they struck like 186 film prints of our little mini DV shot trailer. And uh, they released it with, the film, with, uh, with Grindhouse. And uh, they flew us up to Toronto to talk about the idea of making it into a feature film. Spent um, two or three years writing and raising money uh, to make the feature. So did you ever think you'd be making a feature film from that with Rutger Hauer? At the time, no, not at all. I thought at the time that we may we maybe just go out and shoot it on weekends with our friends. Um, but uh, we were able to get a decent budget together, and uh, I would have never have thought that we would have had someone like Rutger Hauer <laughs> star in the film. Growing up, he was the first actor that really caught uh, my attention. He was... Uh, like when I first uh, developed my love for cinema, I was tracking down my favorite director's films. And Rugger was the first actor that I tracked down every one of his films. And um, when they asked me to make a list of my top five favorite actors who I thought could uh, play the role, I put Rugger Hauer at the top of the list, thinking there was no way in hell that would ever happen. But it would give people an idea as to the kind of actor I was going for. And within a couple of days, they got the script to his agent, and uh, the next thing I knew, I had to get on Skype and have a conversation with him about the film. I used to be like you a long time ago. You're all brand new and perfect. No mistakes, no regrets. People look at you and think of how wonderful your future will be. I want you to be something special, like a doctor or a lawyer. I hate to tell you this, but if you grow up here, you're more likely to wind up selling your bodies on the streets or shooting dope from dirty needles in a bus stop. And if you're successful, you'll make money selling junk to crackheads. And you won't think twice about killing someone's wife. Because you won't even know what's wrong in the first place. So I'm wondering, how did you get your first exposure to American Grindhouse films, or was that something that you kind of started to look to once this competition came up? No, just growing up, um, uh, genre films were the first, it was the first genre that definitely piqued my interest. And back home, we have quite a few pawn shops, and growing up in uh, junior high and high school, I would, go, uh, I would go to those pawn shops every day after school and just raid their VHS collections. And it, I don't know what kind of taste people had back home in Dartmouth, but there would be a lot of crazy exploitation films from the 70s and 80s. And that's, we basically just, we watched like hundreds of them. Uh, we basically set up like a little 
screening room in the in my parents' back shed in their backyard, and we would spend our summers in that shed, and we built bunks and had a VHS player and a TV, and we would just we would try to watch maybe four or five movies a day. <laughs> and what about those films appealed to you? Um, I'm a like I'm a kid of the '80s, um, so I love high concept ideas. And when you're a kid growing up in the '80s, you were subjected to so many crazy uh, Saturday morning cartoons, um, things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, Brave Star, Transformers. Like I grew, I that was those were the first shows I was watching, and they were just filled with high concept ideas. And so, the natural transition for someone who loves um, high concept is exploitation films because they're so outrageous and have amazing high concept ideas. So do you feel that Trevenge was also influenced by those Grindhouse films? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and with Trevenge, um, I remember like after we made uh, the hobo trailer, we got to go to Austin, Texas and, uh, and I got to go to the Alamo draft house, which is the most amazing movie theater in the world. And, um, we went to like a button screening and they showed a bunch of exploitation films that I've never seen before. And, uh, when I came home, I was just filled with inspiration and we basically just went right at writing the script for Trevenge and we spent a couple weekends shooting that film. All right, it's Christmas morning, McMichaels. Santa Claus found you two little elves, huh? Open it up, Scout, open it up. Just don't even worry about saving the paper. Just rip it open, Jason. It's Christmas morning at the McMichael house. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> I love Christmas. <laughs> Jason, your turn. Open another one, bud. Okay, open it up. Show Dad. What is it? Look, I got a chainsaw! No, no, no! Now, there's a moment in Trevenge, and there's a moment also in um, Hobo with a Shotgun, not to give anything away, but there are, in both films there's a moment where children are not only in danger, but also become victimized. Yeah. I'm interested to find out because for horror fans and people who are Grindhouse fans, there's that moment and there's like a pause and you can almost feel like the whole audience hold their breath for a second going yeah. like, are they going to cross the line? Or not. And when you do, it kind of makes those fans very happy. But I'm wondering, like, <laughs> what other, I, I mean, are you making it for those fans? And, and what kind of other responses do you get to those kind of moments? Oh, <laughs> um, well, for me, like, like, I, I may, like, when I make my films, I'm definitely making them from, like, the child perspective in me. It's like the, the 10 or, like, 12-year-old in me that gets excited about ideas. And so I, I like putting that perspective, like that perspective is always in my films. And I feel that, I, I don't know, I just, I, I don't think, I don't like putting limitations on, you know, like bad things can happen to adults, but also, you know, bad things can happen to kids as well too. And uh, I just, I don't know, I, I like I'm a huge fan of kids films as well too. And I love it when like you see kids in real danger and, and being a kid and watching those movies you can kind of like connect to that as a kid. And I, I, and I love respecting that audience as well too. And so I just, I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't like to shy away from that. And, uh, and, and yeah, definitely there's an audience that definitely like appreciates seeing that taboo broken. Um, but there's obviously a lot of other people who could get offended by it. And I've seen it. Like I've seen people walk out on those moments and that's fine. Um, but I do love it when cinema takes you to a place where, it's so outrageous where you're just like, man, I can't believe they got away with doing that. And 
how the hell did they get away with doing that and who the hell let them do it? <laughs> I'm curious if you heard anything about recently the film Dead Hooker in a Trunk, which is also Canadian. Yeah, I've um, heard of it. I haven't seen it or anything from well, it yet, but I have heard of it. Well, it just recently ran into censorship problems just based on the title alone. Uh, theater didn't want to show it. And I was just wondering if you have kind of run into any kind of issues with, you know, either the title or the trailer or people being offended by it to the point that they want to try and block it from being shown? No, we haven't really had any problems with it. because I think it's because, like, I thought we would have more problems with those, with, with those scenes. Like, I thought there would be a, a bit more of an uprage about them, but it, we haven't really experienced any of it at all. It's been quite surprising. And, and you know, I think people know that and see that, you know, those moments are not, they're not just there to, like, shock people. They're, they're, de- they're created to definitely serve the purpose of the story and help push the story forward. Um, like the moment with the school bus scene in Hobo, it's, it's there because it drives the, the rest of the film. And it's something, I, we were trying to create an idea that would be so, like a terrorist act that would be so horrible that it could flip the community upside down and, and make a community turn against each other. And I, I don't know, I think uh, critics and audiences see that and they know that it definitely serves the purpose for the story. So we, I've been qu- actually quite surprised that we haven't run into many problems with that. Do you kids like school? Hey, I asked you a question. Do you kids like school? Yeah! What about ice cream? Do you kids like ice cream? Yeah! <laughs> and bicycles? <laughs> and hobos! I hate hobos! Do you feel that you're also making a satire, like in the same way that George Romero was working in horror and satire? Um, yeah, absolutely. What do you feel you're targeting? Like the, when we were writing the script, there was definitely a lot of things that were going on in the world that were leaking into our script. Um, just and and def, like in the first cut of the film, there was a bit more of it. Um, just the idea of uh, people losing their homes, not being being able to afford to live in a home, and being put on the street, and also um, the idea of um, terrorist acts uh, being used to help. Um, like control or even the media helping to control uh, a community. And um, what we were seeing on the news was definitely like, it was just, I don't know, it was just, it was a part of our minds and was definitely an influence um, in the script writing process. Describe for me kind of the visual look of your film and and kind of the, the style of the effects you use in it. Back to basically growing up in the 80s and watching lots of cartoons. That, and back then, you know, it was just so full of color and prime colors to help attract a young audience. And I just love that. And, uh, and also, like, just a lot of the genre films I love, like Dario Argento's movies, they're so full of color. And a lot of 80s action movies like Savage Streets and Vice Squad and Dead End Drive and The Warriors... I just love the color palette in those films, and it's always something that has attracted my imagination. And so when it came time to shoot Hobo, I, I wanted to kind of create somewhat of like a surreal, graffiti, colorful world. And um, with the effects, I, I don't know, with, like, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of like outrageous 
um, special effects in the sense that it's almost so crazy that it's just absolutely unbelievable in the sense that it, you just, when you're watching it and someone gets shot and it's like almost like a balloon of blood flying at the lens, like that's, it's, real life is nowhere near that, but it's, it's kind of fun and I think people can kind of watch the movie and laugh and have fun with those moments because it's kind of comic book and cartoony in a way. It's just so over the top. And even though some of the scenes might be very intense, when you see those moments of just such outrageous gore effects, it just kind of lightens up the mood and makes you have fun with it a little bit. Now, with some of these, um, they're almost like action or violent set pieces that occur within the film. Do you, Where do you kind of get your ideas for that? And do you kind of come up with things and then try to figure out how to, to solve them in terms of creating the effect? Or do you come up with kind of effects that you want to do and then try to work them into the film? Um, no, it usually just comes from the story. Like when we're, when we're writing the story and we come to one of those moments, um, just because we've watched so many genre films and when it comes, you know, when it comes time for you and you're making your own genre film and have the opportunity to do some kill scenes, I don't know. I, I like the challenge of like trying to step it up and get creative. And, you know, you have the limitations of your budget and you, when you have those limitations, you try to come up with cool, creative ways that can make up for, you know, not being able to afford a big special effect, but you can come up with a crazy idea and something cheap that could have just as much effect as that, you know, that big special effect. So that was always our mindset was like, you know, we don't have the budget to do something completely insane, but how can we get creative and do something that could be just as effective? I'm gonna sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight! You, vultures, circle this city, tearing off the flesh from everything that is innocent. Please don't shoot me. I didn't even hurt her. I want you out of this city. You and your grave roaming friends. Spread the word. We don't necessarily like come up with the ideas of the kills and then work them into the story. It just it kind of comes along when we get to those moments in the story. And I can't tell 100%, but most of those seem to be practical effects. Was yeah, that every, everything is practical. practical? To me, it seems like using practical effects like that engages the audience more to a certain degree and, and gives it a completely different feel from these films that are like so CGI that you just feel kind of far removed from them. I don't know how, how do you feel about that. It's, I've never seen any gore effects in a film that look real. It always, every time I see a, a bad CGI effect, it just completely takes me out of the movie and the story and the characters. And there's just something awesome, even though it's like, if, when an effect is done practically, and even if it looks cheap or cheesy, it's still really fun because you know people like worked really hard to do it, and there's kind of like a heart and soul behind it. And you know it's really hard to do those effects. Like, you know, they they never happen on your first take, and they always take 45 minutes to you know reset it up. And a lot of times on uh, on on genre films, you'll see filmmakers 
just leave it for the post. They'll move on and say, all right, we'll, we'll just leave it for post and we'll figure it out then. Where, you know, it's definitely a struggle to make those effects happen. And then, I don't know, I just, I always find it special when you see a nice effect on screen that's done practically. It just, I don't know, it's just, a, it's a better feeling knowing that it was done real rather than on a computer. And it's not, you know, it has, I don't know, it just at that point, it just feels fake and there's no heart and soul behind it. Yeah, it seems like it engages both the audience and the actors themselves more. Yeah, absolutely. What appeals to you about making these kind of grindhouse films? For me, I just it's I love outrageous cinema. I love seeing things happen, and usually, like in exploitation movies, is where you go to find outrageous cinema, like things where you're just like, man, I can't believe they did this. Like, I can't believe they even got away with this, or like, how did they even raise the money to to put this on the screen? And I just love that. Like I and I love seeing just like high concept, outrageous ideas in movies, and I it, that's just what makes me excited. And the exploitation genre world really lends itself to that because, basically, like when, when especially back in the seventies and eighties when filmmakers were making exploitation films, they were trying to compete with big studio movies, and they wouldn't have the budget to do like the big crazy special effects that a studio movie could do. So they would like use their imagination to come up with crazy, insane, outrageous ideas that could bring an audience to the movie. And I just, I love that spirit. What do you think Rutger Hauer brought to it or brought to the role? Oh, well, for me, like making Hobo, it was kind of like, it's, it's very much like a Western. And Rutger just has this very cool, smooth style that I've just always loved. He has this amazing ability to just give you a look to the camera. He doesn't have to say anything at all. And he could just give you a look and you would, he creates such mystery behind his performances. And I've always loved that. Like, I grew up, um, the, a couple of films that really caught my attention with his performances were uh, an Australian film called The Blood of Heroes and uh, his movie uh, with Robert Harmon called The Hitcher. And uh, there's such, like, mystery behind those characters. And even though they're not, I don't know, they might not necessarily be Westerns, but I don't know, Rugger really brings this kind of, like, you know, I don't know, even with those movies, they're almost kind of like a man with no name, uh, sort of feel to it, and I wanted to bring that to Hobo, and he, he, with Rugger, he really understood, and what he liked about the movie is that I really wanted to keep that character grounded and true, and uh, and not play him so over the top, and let the world that he's entering be over the top and outrageous, but you know, have that main character be grounded and true to everything he's doing, and he really got that, and, and he brings a lot of heart and soul to the movie. Well, it's true that you seem to have this um, balance between some of the over-the-top elements, but there's there really is kind of this emotional core to the film that does feel real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that was that was so important. And and uh, him and uh, Molly Dunsworth, who plays Abby, like they just got that and spent a lot of time working together to make those. You know, there's not too many moments where it kind of like quiets down, and you get to spend some time with the characters and just you know. Uh, and see how they are and how they interact together. And uh, when we go to those moments, like they really worked hard on those moments together and they, and it really brings our heart to the film. Sometimes I try to get my friends to go to films that I enjoy and I say, Oh, you know, you got to try this. It's really fun. It's great. And when I explain what a film is like, they go like, Oh, why would I want to put myself through that? 
Yeah. And I'm wondering if you get that and how you kind of respond to those kind of reactions. Well, you know, like Hobo is definitely not the kind of movie for everybody, but there's definitely a large audience out there who I think could get really excited and have a lot of fun with the movie. Like the way we made the movie, I don't know, in the back of our minds while making it is like we wanted to kind of create, we wanted to create like a rock show for an audience. And it's definitely a movie that you've got to like get in a theater with, with a bunch of rowdy people and, you know, go with a group of friends and have fun, maybe get a couple drinks into you before you go and just like, the movie Borderline has no rules in it. And I've always told my audiences when they go to watch the movie that I expect them to watch the movie with no rules. Like anything goes in that cinema. And I've seen audiences react so positively and, 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 and crazy to the movie. And, and there's like the, how they like the audience like interacts with the film. Like they, they, it's almost like they're participating with the movie. And that's a lot of fun, and that's something that you don't quite often can get from a movie in the theaters. And so, I don't know, I think it's, it's definitely a moment that, it's a movie that is kind of like an experience in a way. Well, it's funny, because last night I went to see The Tingler at a local theater, the old Vincent Price film. Oh, wow. Which was really fun, because people got into it, and there was one guy in the back who, when they said, scream for your life, you know, he started screaming, like, I'm saving you all. (laughs) But I was thinking with your film, too, I mean, it's films like that that seem to make going to a theater and having that kind of, you know, experience with a group more fun than some of these, you know, huge budget Hollywood films, which seem kind of impersonal. But it seems like these kind of films, like the midnight kind of films, really benefit from, yeah, being with a group and watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I've seen people Twittering that, like, I've seen a couple of twi- tweeters where they're like, yeah, I'm laying in bed, I'm just about to watch Hobo with a shotgun. And I'm just thinking, like, how the hell can you do that? Like, when I lay in bed and want, and want to watch a movie, I like to kind of like fall asleep to the film, but there's no way anyone's ever going to fall asleep to Hobo with a Shotgun. It's just way too loud and in your face. Yeah, unfortunately, I had to watch it on <clears throat> on demand because out here in San Diego, we didn't have um, yeah. <coughs> a screening or anything. But it was... I'm sorry, I need okay. to take Jason away. Okay, <laughs> thanks a lot. It was great fun. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Remember to check back every Thursday for film reviews and every Friday for interviews. Plus, in the next couple of weeks, I'll have some special edition podcasts from the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival and from Son of Monster Palooza in L.A. So make sure you subscribe to the Cinema Junkie podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota. Let's go places.